Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, coming to you again from Memphis, Tennessee. The phone number 404-872-0750, WSB Talk, and I'm sorry that we are all going to die. Uh, all of us, apparently tomorrow uh, the extermination is upon us between tax reform and net neutrality repeal. Uh, the left is working overtime to convince us that we're all going to die. It really gives you a uh, deep insight into the mind of people on the left that if you repeal Obamacare, everyone's going to die. If you, if you repeal net neutrality, everyone's going to die. If you do tax reform, everyone's going to die. Um, it, it, this is a religious zeal by secularists who have turned government into God. And if you do anything they disagree with that disrupts the, the way they want government structured, people are going to die. They, these are policy disagreements that aren't going to kill anyone. If you got kids in the car, relax, kids. It's just people are crazy out there right now. But let, let, <clears throat> I want to start with net neutrality. We'll get into the FBI stuff here in a few minutes. But let me start with the net neutrality stuff. They had to temporarily suspend the vote because of a bomb threat that was called in. Uh, yes, a bomb threat uh, to stop a vote on this net neutrality stuff. Now, uh, you should know going into this, I support net neutrality. I have long been an advocate of net neutrality. What I disagree with, though, is what the Obama administration did in 2015 that even the federal courts have said they could not do. I don't know that that's the best way to to do what the left wanted. Now, the question is, uh, what did they do? What is net neutrality? Uh, what's the repeal and what's the big deal? And I want to work you through those things, beginning first with what is the idea of net neutrality? What do people mean? Well, the problem is that no one really agrees on the same thing. They have morphed it over time. The left has. They changed the definition over time. So a lot of people who are upset that net neutrality is being repealed, it, it's really not. Uh, it's just uh, one of the liberal definitions has changed. To begin with, net neutrality means that information coming to you over the Internet should all be treated equally. So, for example, you get your internet from, well, you, you know, I get mine from, from my company, um, Cox, Cox Communications, Cox Enterprises, uh, Cox Media Group. I get my internet from Cox. I actually pay for a business line for our house because I use so much data um, with work. So what net neutrality would say is that if Cox were to offer, say, WSB, uh, live streaming over the internet for free for people who get Cox internet that they could not give it priority over another streaming service. They couldn't prioritize their own in-house video feed over Netflix. And I agree with that in principle because I am paying for Internet. I'm not paying for Cox to give me WSB over the Internet. I'm paying for Internet. And I want to be able to access the Internet, and I, I don't want to be nickel and dimed to death to say, well, if you want your Netflix, you're going to have to pay even more. I, I, whether I want Netflix or iTunes or, or WSB's live stream or what have you, I, I want them all treated equally. And that is the basic concept of net neutrality. And here's the kicker. With the repeal, with the repeal today of the regulations from 2015, 
that will still be the case. That will still be the law of the land. That level of net neutrality will happen. And what the left's argument about is a hypothetical future where that's no longer the case, but that's not happening. Now, there are some caveats and nutshells here um, that we got to weed through, sort through, and pick apart so that you can understand where the hysteria comes from. Okay, so basic framework now for net neutrality is that all data over the internet should be treated the same. There is an implied burden then on content providers who push stuff over the internet that they will work to make their content flow over the internet as efficiently as possible that the packet data packet transmission will work and that's the way it always has been now you should know that there have only been a handful of situations where companies have ever been accused uh, internet service providers have ever been accused of prioritizing data over the internet and in all of those cases without the obama era regulations they were forced to stop doing what they were doing. Those regulations weren't needed. Now, what the Obama administration did in 2015 is they reclassified Internet service providers under the Communications Act, Federal Communications Act. The problem is that the Supreme Court then ruled that the FCC didn't have the power to do that. So essentially what the liberal argument today is about is the FCC voting to undo regulations that the federal courts, the Supreme Court in particular, has already said you couldn't do. That, that is what the hysteria is about today, in a nutshell. Now, for the broader picture here, you can believe that everything on the Internet should be treated equally, but there is an argument for Internet service providers that they paid for all of this stuff. They strung the lines. They put up the poles. They connected it to your house. They bought the cable, they bought the servers, they bought the routers, so they should be able to prioritize stuff. That, to me, seems like a no-brainer. I, I tend to agree with that as much as I agree with everything being treated equally. So how is this actually playing out around the world in places that didn't have net neutrality regulations? First of all, we need to respond to the argument from liberals that the rest of the world has faster internet than the United States. There, there is this belief that if we would make the internet a public utility, that it would be more efficient. Um, we know from the long history of market efficiency in this country that that's not the case. The key to understanding the argument, though, of those who say that around the world, they look at Japan or South Korea or Denmark or the Netherlands or... Uh, you name it, and they say, oh, the Internet there is so much faster. Here's the thing. There are more people per square mile in those places that have really fast Internet than there are here. Think about the vast open spaces you drive through in just a two-hour trip in Georgia. Those places don't exist in Japan or South Korea or you name it. Uh, high, high urban density makes it very easy for internet companies to provide a higher speed at greater cost because you're not rewiring through rural South Georgia to get super high speed internet to people. So you do need to understand that they ignore that part of the argument, but it's a very legitimate part of the argument in dealing with these issues of the internet. Rural areas are much more common in the United States and by the way, each state is essentially its own sovereign country. They've only ceded certain powers to Washington, D.C. Otherwise, these are state-level powers. 
each state has to license cable providers. You cannot get a national um, cable registration to provide cable at the state level from the federal government. Each of these are state-level issues. So there are other complications that other countries don't deal with that people who find our constitutional federal system inconvenient tend to ignore, but those issues do exist and they are real. And they're playing out over this net neutrality situation. Uh, so what did Ajit Pai and the FCC do today? They really didn't do a whole lot. And the liberal arguments are so hysterical, that should be a big red flag to you that they really didn't do a whole lot. I'll explain what they actually did, though, when we come back. It's Jose Serrano, he is a liberal Democrat from New York. He was at a, a net neutrality rally this morning in Washington, D.C., protesting the FCC decision. And the the sign, it was a big a kind of clock sign, the, the countdown to Armageddon's type sign uh, telling people to take action. <laughs> it fell on and knocked him off stage. I, I should like, he, he wound up pulling a muscle. He was okay otherwise. He made a joke about it. He handled it very gracefully. He found humor in it as well. But I just, the, these politicians who go to these events, and y'all, I mean, think of the organization behind this. Did you have internet access in January of 2015? Did you? Now, right now, at this moment, does your internet work? Has it noticeably improved in the last two years? I don't know what's worse, actually. And I, I was thinking about this earlier. What is worse? The fact that Democrats make these arguments that we're all going to die and we're going to go to the Stone Age and everything's going to be terrible if a regulation is repealed. Or the fact that there are people who actually believe that rhetoric. Because I, I'm starting to wonder if it's the people who believe that rhetoric that actually make it worse. Whether it's repeal of Obamacare or tax reform or a, a net neutrality regulation from the FCC that, oh, by the way, the Supreme Court has already said was an unenforceable regulation. That somehow the mere repeal of this regulation, the mere repeal of it will ruin your life and cause people to die. You've got gay rights activists out there saying that this is an attack on the gay community. You've got abortion activists out there saying this is an attack on women's right to abortion. How? Well, they're afraid that some Comcast, it's not, internet service providers <clears throat> might block them. I have a real hard time believing Comcast, Cox Cable, uh, Charter, you name it, it would be blocking access to particular websites. That is their hysterical fear. And by the way, there is no basis in fact for this. There is none. No basis, in fact, that anything like this would happen. They treat these big Internet service providers as, as, as evil corporations, and yet many of these corporations are writing large checks to fund organizations that the left loves, uh, nonprofit organizations. They're trying to have it both ways. They're just trying to scare people. That's what it is. They've given up honest arguments over these issues. And they're just scaring people. So what are they scaring people about? I will tell you and get to tax reform in the FBI when we come back. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. Let me see if I can be expeditious now wrapping up this net neutrality stuff because Ajit Pai, the FCC commission chairman, has been beaten up for opposing net neutrality, and he doesn't. He supports it. In fact, back in 2009, Comcast was fined uh, millions of dollars. In fact, uh, $16 million, to be precise, in damages for throttling the Internet. Uh, that means slowing the Internet for some people. They, they were fined $60 million before the net neutrality regulations existed. Uh, the FCC, both sides, Republican and Democrat, support net neutrality. 
Uh, all Ajit Pai said is that you did not need to preemptively regulate the internet based on how something might hypothetically happen in the future until you know how it's going to shape out. Because what you could risk otherwise is an internet that fails to develop the way it should um, by putting a regulatory structure that is cost prohibitive in its way. Now, we can see in other countries the way this has played out. There are some countries, for example, that will allow you to have access to, for example, Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat without paying additional um, data, without paying for additional data. So, for example, you can use your uh, instant messaging program on your iPhone uh, without having to buy a data package. Or you can use Facebook uh, without having to buy a data package. Now, the left would tell you this is bad, but the consumer would tell you this is good. This is an example of left-wing politics deviating from what is actually good for consumers. There are multiple countries that will allow companies like Facebook or Snapchat or, or you name it, Twitter, to pay them money. And in the process, what the company then does is they tell consumers, you can use this product with your data on your phone without having to have it count against your data limits. So let's use Twitter as an example. Twitter pays your local cell phone company, because this is where this is headed, really. It's not internet, home internet. This is, is data for your, for your cell phone is where it's really headed. Twitter pays your cell phone company and says, we will pay you X dollars, and in exchange, you will allow consumers who use your devices and internet to use Twitter without it going against their data limits in their cell phone plan. So now suddenly, the internet company, the cell phone company, is getting money from a major company, and the consumer is allowed to use a data-driven product that uses internet uh, without being charged for it. That's a win for the consumer. And that's how this is playing out around the world. And one of the things Ajit Pai has pointed to is said, look at how this is playing out around the world. This will not be possible if these regulations stay in place. Because these regulations were designed contemplating something else but impact that. This seems like a no-brainer, and it should be to people, except those who are so invested in the Obama legacy, the Obama-era legacy, they can't actually admit that maybe they should have done this because Barack Obama did it, therefore it is automatically de facto good because he is the Jesus of American politics. Everything Barack Obama did was apparently good, and he walked on water, according to the political left, which is nonsense to anyone paying attention. But, I mean... Who cares what the legitimate arguments are when you can tell people they're going to die if this happens? Ridiculous. Judge Branch here on the Georgia Court of Appeals has been nominated by the president to be on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Fantastic pick, by the way. Excellent, excellent, excellent judge. Uh, just breeze through the the committee hearing, the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. Uh, Justice Willett from the Texas Supreme Court has been confirmed now for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, as has Jim Ho um, also over there. The, the president has seen three more uh, judicial nominees make it through the Senate uh, for the Court of Appeals. 
But what's missing here, and I think is a big red flag for Republicans, particularly in light of what happened in Alabama yesterday, they need to get district court uh, judges confirmed. They absolutely need to get the district court judges confirmed, and they need to do so quickly um, before the Democrats throw up even more roadblocks. I am really concerned with the Democrats uh, steamrolling district court judges. The district court judges, uh, for lack of better phraseology, they're the first responders to some of these ridiculous liberal legal theories they've been throwing up to block the Trump administration's agenda. Uh, You would think that uh, they would be better off getting some of these district court judges in there quickly to deal with these issues. I hope that the Senate will move on to district court judges. I've got a friend of mine who's pending confirmation in the Senate, um, and in fact, I, I've got several friends of mine who are going to be federal district judges if they ever make it through. All of them have been waiting almost the entire year for the Senate to do anything. And it looks like, unfortunately, they're going to leave the district court judges hanging until next year, uh, blowing in the wind, waiting for nominations to see about Democratic obstruction, which is problematic. Um, they really need to figure this out. Now, when we come back, uh, tax reform And this FBI stuff is starting to not look very good for Robert Mueller, even as someone like me who's been fairly open-minded about this investigation. uh, Some of these text messages look problematic. In and of themselves, FBI agents can have political opinions. 10,000 text messages, though, attacking the president, that's a problem. When we were headed out to commercial break, I said 10,000 text messages from this FBI agent and his alleged mistress. It was 1,000. I'm sorry, I misspoke. But still, 1,000 uh, deeply hostile to the president. Uh, they, he was the, was the lead investigator in the Trump-Russia matter. Before the election had even concluded, he was pushing for this, claiming that it would be an insurance policy against the president. You can't deny that this looks bad. And you cannot deny, I think, based on these text messages, that this individual was steering an investigation and already had concluded in which direction the investigation would go and what the outcome should be. I want to walk you through that when we come back. Before I get there, though, the latest on the state of play with tax reform and Paul Ryan signaling he may retire after the 2018 election, that's kind of a significant deal in that it does suggest even he knows what's coming from the Democrats is not going to be good uh, and that Nancy Pelosi will probably wind up being Speaker of the House again. Yes, prepare yourselves for gridlock. And gridlock, by the way, I don't have a problem with gridlock in Washington. That just means your rights are protected because Congress can't do anything. I don't know why people get so bent out of shape over gridlock in Washington. Personally, I'm in favor of a government shutdown because the less the government does, the better. The more people realize they can do for themselves without government and they won't die, I think the better off we would all be. Nowadays, you got liberals saying you, you repeal net neutrality, you're going to die. People need to be reminded they're not going to die if the government takes a day off. But that being said, uh, the state of play for tax reform, when we come back, it is moving towards its conclusion. It looks like the president's going to have a deal by the end of the year. Uh, question, though, is Marco Rubio is coming out saying he's going to oppose it. I have talked to his staff. I will provide you, when we come back, his rationale for opposing it. Uh, and we'll also see if I can take your calls from Memphis. We're, it, 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 those of you who are just tuning in, I, I'm in Memphis Uh, My brother-in-law had surgery. I'm taking care of the family. The studio I'm in is kind of an awkward setup, and we hadn't been able to. 
I, I can log on to the call screening program and see you, but we're having problems connecting. So uh, that's why I haven't given you out the phone number. It's just kind of problematic here. Uh, his back surgery did go well. Uh, they thought he could come home this evening, but they're going to leave him overnight. They did find another disc on the verge of rupturing, so they fixed that as well, which was good. Um, but uh, it's been a long, busy day, and I got a term paper to finish writing when I get off here after feeding my nieces for taking care of them for supper. So, anyway, uh, when we come back, tax reform and the FBI investigation. And we are back for another exciting hour of evening radio while you're stuck trying to get home. Welcome, it is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. I am in Memphis, Tennessee still. Uh, I will be back this weekend helping out my sister's family here, but I am monitoring the news, paying attention, talking to sources, um, talking to members of Congress about this tax reform bill. Uh, the outrage is actually growing over the FBI situation, and we will get into that here in a moment. Let me give you what I know about the Republican tax plan. They're running into some headwinds because uh, Senator Marco Rubio is making a stand on the family, the child tax credit. And I want to explain to you his position here because I think it is significant. Um, Republicans in the Senate told Marco Rubio and Mike Lee that their tax uh, child tax credit plan was no-go because they had to have a 20% corporate tax rate. So Rubio and Lee wanted to lower the corporate tax rate from 35% to 22% instead of 20%. And they wanted to use that 2% difference to allow families access to the child tax credit if they pay federal taxes. Because right now, people who pay payroll taxes but not income taxes can't get the child tax credit. Whether you agree with that or not, that is their policy position, that these people are still paying federal taxes. It is impacting their ability to raise kids, and they want to expand it. There are actually a number of conservative organizations out there who oppose that because they don't pay income taxes, but there are some family-oriented and Christian organizations on the right who massively support it because of the financial burden they feel are on these families. So they couldn't lower the rate to 22%. It had to be 20%. Well, in conference committee now, the Republicans have in the Senate have agreed to lowering it to 21% instead of 20%. And they're lowering it to 21% to cut taxes for... Uh, people in the highest rate, the 39.5% income tax rate, will be lowered to 37%. And Rubio and Lee's position is that if you can lower it instead of 20% to 21% to give the most well-off people in the country a tax cut, you should be able to curtail the estate tax uh, somewhat under the Republican plan in order to give lower middle-class families uh, the child tax credit. And Rubio is now saying he's not going to support it unless they do this. Bob Corker, the senator from Tennessee, is saying he's not going to support it because Bob Corker doesn't want to support tax cuts because Donald Trump wants them. It's all spiteful on his part. And between Rubio and Corker, if the Republicans lose one more vote, Mike Lee is still up in the air on this. If they lose one more vote on this, uh, the Republican tax plan is dead in the Senate. They won't be able to get it passed. So Republicans are having to deal with this now. Uh, as far as the actual compromise goes now, they are going to expand people's ability to write off state and local income taxes. That's something they weren't sure about. 
they are going to lower the top rate for individual income taxes, so everyone really will get a tax cut. They're going to get rid of the corporate alternative minimum tax, which is a good thing because it's a convoluted system that corporations spend a lot of accounting dollars trying to get around. Uh, and they're going to lower the corporate tax rate to 21%. So it looks like a supportable plan. I applaud Marco Rubio for his principled stand on this. He's making a very strong stand that Republicans should not just be catering to the well-off in this plan. You can disagree with him if you want. I think it's actually a pretty bold stand for a guy like Marco Rubio and commend him for doing it, whether I agree with him or not. Uh, and I largely see his point on this tax credit and tend to agree with the family-oriented organizations who have run the numbers and think this would be a, a real help to lower-middle-class families. One way or the other, though, it looks like this vote is going to happen next week. They are going to proofread the bill over the weekend to make sure they don't actually have a 100% tax rate in there like the Senate version actually passed. Uh, now, having broken all that down, we need to get into the FBI situation. So I told you guys yesterday I wanted to wait before tackling the um, stuff about the FBI agent and his text messages and let it play out overnight. Um, because I thought some news would be coming, and news has come, and that is that the inspector general in the FBI is ramping up his investigation into this. It has taken a bunch of other text messages. There are more than a 1,000 text messages being reviewed, and uh, members of Congress are expressing concerns on the Republican side that it looks like FBI agents were political. And it's worth pointing out that uh, in the Obama administration, when he was incoming, there were uh, left-wing complaints about partisan Republicans within the FBI trying to undermine the Obama agenda. Now we have text messages between FBI agents uh, that looks like uh, they were trying to undermine the incoming Trump administration. Uh, the people in question are Peter Sturzak and Lisa Page. Uh, Sturzak was a counterintelligence agent, Page, an FBI lawyer. They were involved in the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email server. Uh, Sturzak also interviewed Huma Abedin, uh, among others, and um, what Cheryl Mills, I believe, uh, clearing them by and large. And it's very clear that he disliked Donald Trump and wanted to work against them. And I'm reading now from Eli Lake at Bloomberg. Um, in text messages from 2015 and 2016, Surzak and Page complained about the Republican presidential nominee's intelligence and demeanor, including in unprintable terms. In July, those text messages came to the attention of the Justice Department's Inspector General. The FBI reassigned Sturzak to Human Resources while Page left uh, the special counsel's probe in July of this year. And there are some deeply troubling texts uh, between these individuals that raise questions about their bias. But before I get there, before I, I, I read you that, I want to tell you what Andy McCarthy has said. Those of you who read National Review, you know Andy McCarthy. He's been a, um, a strong critic of the Mueller investigation. He's a former federal prosecutor. He prosecuted the blind shake uh, attempt to bombing the World Trade Center back in the early 90s. Uh, he's been a very strong critic of how the Mueller investigation is going. He has defended the Trump administration in this handling, although he wasn't aggressively a Trump supporter. Um, but he's been I mean, overwhelmingly on the side of Trump when it comes to this investigation. But even he, let me read you this quote from Andy McCarthy, says, I think it's wrong that their texts have been massively released to the public. I do think they should have been vetted so that 
only stuff that was relevant to whether there was bias in Mueller's investigation was sent to Congress. Congress is entitled to look at that, just as Mueller was entitled to look at that. But in an investigation, the public usually doesn't have a right to know about this until charges have been brought. And his point is twofold on this. There's an allegation that Sturzak and Page may have been having an affair. It is just an allegation, but it is an allegation based on their released text messages. Um, And he's right. We usually don't find out about these things until after the inspector general has had a finding. And a lot of what we are doing is armchair quarterbacking of text messages without any related context or interviews with the people. That being said... These text messages paint a very troubling picture of an FBI agent willing to do what he could to stop Donald Trump from being elected. Um, One of the the worst texts is from Sturzak to Page. Let me read you this text message. I want to believe the path you threw out for consideration in Andy's office, that there's no way he gets elected, but I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. Andy is Andrew McCabe, the deputy FBI director who was acting director uh, when uh, Comey was fired before the new replacement. It is also worth noting that Andrew McCabe's wife is a liberal Democrat who campaigned in Virginia for a state legislative seat. Uh, So we got all this stuff working against Democrats in the FBI, and it looks like uh, Sturzak may have been going into the investigation, the Russia investigation, on behalf of Mueller with preconceived notions and presuppositions guiding not just where he was going to look for evidence, but how he was interpreting the evidence. And if that's the case, and I, I don't think there's any denying it given what his text messages say, um, you do have to wonder if the FBI was given the president of the benefit of the doubt. That said... I'm hearing from more and more people who think that there's nothing left to find against the president in this uh, Robert Mueller investigation and that it is largely played out. And if that's the case, uh, it looks like what these FBI agents might have wanted to do uh, was to no avail. And one way or the other, it'll be really big news in the coming weeks from what I hear. Now, I want to pause from politics here for just a moment. Many of you may not have heard this, even though you'll know the name. Uh, R.C. Sproul, the famed theologian, has passed away this afternoon. He was 78 years old. He had been in the hospital 12 days uh, due to severe respiratory difficulties uh, and then got the flu on top of it. Um, I have a number of his books. He's the founder of Ligonier Ministries. I have a number of friends who work there. Um, I have the Bible they put together. Uh, it is it it is sad uh, to see this man pass, uh, and also tremendous to think of the great things he did. Um, if you have never read a book by R.C. Sproul, I mean, just get any of his books that he has written. Go to Ligonier Ministries. Get Table Talk. Uh, I subscribe to Table Talk, and have for a very long time. And there are some months where I don't get a chance at all to read it. And there are some months where I can read it to cover, cover to cover. Uh, he has great, great books on uh, different books of the Bible. He's got great commentaries. Uh, I, I just, everything about him is a wonderful book. Uh, Essential Truths of the Christian Faith. 
uh, Chosen by God. Those are two great books to um, get him understand. If you want to understand Reformed theology or what is Reformed theology, understanding the basics by him, defending your faith and introduction to all. I mean, he's just on and on and on and on and on. R.C. Sproul has been just a, a figure in and out of my life in the periphery. Uh, his books, I've got one with me in uh, Nash or in Memphis, as a matter of fact. I've got to finish my seminary paper that I had to get a extension on because of the, the California trip, the Memphis trip, the getting sick, everything else. But it, it is just worth it. I know many of you in my audience would know the name R.C. Sproul. Uh, and he is, is home now in glory. Uh, was not expecting to see this news this afternoon. Uh, happened three o'clock this afternoon, uh, in the hospital in Florida, and he just he leaves behind a tremendous legacy. And it, you know, in that regard, it, it's one thing worth mentioning. I see a lot of people in conservative politics die, and the organizations they've built crumble without them. And he was someone who was much more interested in the cause than just promoting his name. And though he dies. Uh, Ligonier Ministries is well set up to proceed, and it is just a testament to his great faith and principled leadership in that regard. He will sincerely be missed. When we come back, let me clarify something on the FBI agents and what is happening moving forward with Mueller's investigation. Alrighty, let me just clarify some of the the FBI information. So we know Mike Flynn has agreed to cooperate with the FBI investigation. And I have heard now from multiple people for many months, people within the White House, that uh, Jared Kushner is the last big remaining target. We also now know, as of this past week, that the Mueller investigation has concluded interviews with all of the people within the White House they wanted to talk to. The sense I get from people from the president's team familiar with the investigation is that it is beginning to wind down to its inevitable conclusion. And there may still be a big indictment or two to come. Uh, Jared Kushner may be one of them. Donald Trump Jr. may be one of them. I don't know, and only people on the Mueller team do know that. Uh, Manafort is, has been targeted. Uh, we got the guy, I can't remember his name, he was one of Manafort's aides was targeted. Uh, Flynn as well. And the thinking with Mike Flynn is that he is a big fish and he got a deal and that deal involved his cooperation. And if that was the case, it would appear that they were targeting bigger people. If it's Jared Kushner, then, well, to some degree, the president has clean hands here because the president, best we know, was not involved in a number of these things. And, I mean, including the allegations that um, Mike Flynn reached out to the Russians, it was after the 2016 election. So he was the president-elect, so he had every right to do that, uh, to begin shaping American foreign policy on his way into office as Barack Obama was shaping it, leaving office. It was perfectly legal. You may not like it, but it was legal. And so now the thinking has been evolving among folks in Washington that I talked to um, that maybe the Mueller investigation really is winding down. And in order to justify the expense to taxpayers, he had to get some indictments out of it. He got the the bad eggs, the, the Flynn and the Manafort, even conservative Trump supporters were saying they were problematic. And so maybe this investigation is winding down. Uh, I don't know. 
But the fact that the uh, Sturzok text messages have come out and they paint this FBI agent in a very bad light and it suggests that FBI agents were working to undermine the presidency of Donald Trump before he even got elected and the fact we know that they're done talking to people in the White House and we know this FBI agent got demoted and we know that um, it looks like there have been no other indictment notices that have been released yet. We could very well be seeing a scenario where the Mueller investigation wraps up without uh, any finding against the president. And if that's the case, releasing these text messages from this FBI agent uh, are kind of a flag that CC, even though these people were were biased against the president, uh, we conducted a fair investigation and he's not being indicted. And it redeems the image of the FBI. It helps Mueller and Comey both to a degree from a PR standpoint. And they did get Manafort and Flynn. So the Democrats can still be perturbed um, and the FBI can still say the Russians tried to influence the election, but the Trump campaign wasn't involved. They they did it on their own. Uh, so you still have that outstanding issue, but the president doesn't get indicted. And I don't think that helps the Democrats. It's not what the Democrats want, uh, but that may be the truth. And they are so in search of blaming the president. They're so committed to the idea that the president is to blame that I, I don't know that truth matters necessarily to them. Uh, I don't know that if the Mueller investigation was to end tomorrow and they were to say the president did nothing wrong, that the left would be relieved, that they would still think that something was wrong and they would start attacking the FBI. Uh, I, I think Mueller is in a no-win situation with people. Um, I don't think he is incompetent. I do think, though, uh, it was clearly a mistake on his part to hire a bunch of people with Democratic loyalties. Maybe he didn't know. Comey very clearly is someone who is of the left uh, and does not like the president. You can tell this now by his Twitter feed. And maybe that is the social utility of Twitter. Uh, liberals who have for a long time masqueraded themselves as not being liberals are being exposed. But one way or the other, uh, we should find out very soon uh, as this investigation wraps up. I want to go back to a point I made at the beginning of the show. I assume you'll forgive me. I, but, you know, I try not to... I try not to delve deep on this stuff sometimes because I know you guys want the news. Um, but this net neutrality debate today from the left, that people are going to die, um, that this is an attack on the gay community, attack on the abortion community, attack on the women's community, attack on blacks, attack on Hispanics, attacks on everything. Uh, tax reform is going to kill people. Obamacare repeal is going to kill people. Y'all, this is what happens... When you abandon your faith in God and put your faith in a government, suddenly every hill is a hill to die on. I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, but while we were checking traffic, I pulled up Netflix and I could still get to it. And they told me that Netflix was going to go away the moment these regulations were repealed. And yet it's still there. You can go to it yourself at your home. You can go on the Internet this afternoon or this evening. You can go get on the Internet. It is totally possible for you to do. And it will be tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And you're not going to see a massive degradation in services. In fact, you're not going to see a degradation in services. If nothing else, you're going to see improvement of services along the way. When people stop believing in God, they'll believe anything. 
G.K. Chesterton was so right. It is not, the problem of atheistic belief is not that you believe in nothing, it's that you believe in everything. And people can be easily persuaded to believe that if a government service doesn't exist, that it stops to exist. It's like, it does a bear poop in the woods. If you can't see the bear, does it actually happen? If you can't see that the government is doing something, does it actually happen? This country, people in this country need to learn that they can do things for themselves. If the government doesn't provide a service, it doesn't mean that service doesn't exist. It means they can go get it themselves and they can pay for it themselves. And if you can't pay for it, if you can't afford it, it doesn't mean that you should declare it a right. It means that maybe you should save some money and try to pay for it through other means or get a second job or something. Oh, that's so cruel of me to say. Y'all, the Internet is not a right. A cell phone is not a right. And the government refinagling net neutrality regulations and getting rid of something Barack Obama did in 2015 that hasn't even been enforced since then really won't make a hill of beans difference to your daily life. And the fact that there are people who are telling you it will speaks volumes about how malformed their worldview is. It's ridiculous. Tomorrow when you get up, just remember, the internet is still going to work and it's going to behave exactly as it did yesterday. <sighs> I'm ready to go see Star Wars. So I got to tell you guys, I rely more and more on Yelp uh, to find places where I can go see a movie or whatnot. And Star Wars is coming out tonight, and I want to go see Star Wars tonight. I actually had tickets to go see Star Wars tonight, um, but now I'm in Memphis, Tennessee with my family, and I'm not going to be able to go see Star Wars tonight. I was going to go here until I got on Yelp to find the nearest theater. And the review of the nearest theater, I kid you not, is from a month ago with a one-star rating that you could see roaches in the concession stand and crawling on the drink machine. And there was a review from two months ago with the same thing. And there was a review from four months ago with the same thing. And I just mentioned it offhandedly to my sister. And she said, oh, yeah, you, you don't want to go to that movie theater because they have huge problems because the man doesn't want to do anything to keep the theater clean because he's trying to nickel and dime everyone. And it's gross. They won't even turn on the heating and air for the people who are working there. Um, ew, so if I can find a movie theater for a late night showing in Memphis, I may go. But I hear the crime in Memphis isn't that great. So I don't know that I want to go out and I want to go see Star Wars. This is dedication to my family. This is true, loving dedication to my family um, that I would miss the, the release night of Star Wars to be with my family. That's the, I, I just I want that noted for the record. Now, I'm out of time. I will be back with you guys again tomorrow night from Memphis. You guys have a wonderful night, and I'm going to try not to be jealous of those of you who go see The Last Jedi tonight. Have a good night.